Jesus, I mean, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. As we're singing that last song, we're saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I couldn't help but to think about the angels right now who are in heaven crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The Bible says that for all eternity, that is the name and the only name that is ever going to matter. So why don't we just start it now, you know? Why don't we just start it now? Just start singing it. Start praising Him and start worshiping Jesus. In this world, we try to put so many little things in front of him, and it's very interesting when you, you talk to different people and they live their life one way, and, and God's trying to tell them that it's supposed to be like this. When it's all said and done, it doesn't matter the, the way that you are trying to live. The only way that's going to matter and the only name that's going to matter and the only one who's going to be standing firm above all is going to be Jesus. And that's awesome. And that's awesome we get to come here together and we get to worship him gathered with saints all around the world, we get to come here and in unison proclaim the name of Jesus. That is why Village Church is here. That is why we are moving forward. That is why we are expanding. It's all about the name of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, we'll go talk about it. I don't mind. But that is the only one we are here to please. And so today we're going to learn how Christ can influence us inwardly and how that affects us outwardly. And so we're doing this series, Reach. And we have an opportunity to reach out. And so today what I want us to be able to do is to reach in before we reach out. And if you have your Bibles, we're just going to jump right in. Go ahead to the book of Romans. We'll be in chapter 12 today. And I want to kind of lay out the groundwork for where we're going to be going. But the, the groundwork first has to be laid between you and the Lord. And Paul, when he's writing this passage, he's writing it to the church in Rome. Just a little side note, if you want to know who Paul's writing to, typically the title of the books that he has written is who he is writing it to. So that's just a little fun fact for you to give you time to get where we need to be. But I'm going to start reading in chapter 1 and kind of lay out this foundation for you. So Paul writes in, in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers... By the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. So we look at this passage. So there's a, a decision, there's a crossroad that we have to come before, and that is we stand at the cross, we stand before Christ, and we've got to make a decision whether we are going to follow him or not. When someone in this time period read this passage, it was not a passage that was to be read and taken lightly. When you mention sacrifice, the people during that time knew what sacrifice was. It was not something that was pretty. They understood that sacrificing took blood, and it typically took the life of an innocent one. And in this position, we look and we see the sacrifice that took place is Christ. But Jesus himself said, that if we are to follow him, we must take up our cross. In other words, we must die to self and we must follow him. So there has to be a personal sacrifice that takes place when we look at ourselves in the mirror, when we have that gut check with ourselves. We've got to determine whether we are going to live our life for me 
or for Jesus. And so that is the sacrifice that we take place, and it takes place, and it says, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual worship. I love this because it lays a groundwork for us when we come into worship. Oftentimes, I think culturally, especially down south, we uh, associate worship with, with what we just did. That, that is worship. This is church. And so, you know, I can come into church on Sunday morning, God, I give you an hour, that's cool. I'll walk out, I'm good for the week. You know, it's kind of like uh, we're going to throw up a bunch of Hail Marys, we're going to go to the confessional, we're going to get everything off our chest, and I'm good for the week. You know, that's kind of how we have perceived church, but it's not about that. Now, those things aren't necessarily bad, not, not the Hail Mary stuff, but the, the, you know, being able to come into worship, you know, those, that's not necessarily bad to be able to come corporately. The Bible talks about that very openly, that those are good things, that's what we want to do, and that's an awesome thing, and that's what we're going to be doing for the rest of eternity is worshiping God together. But it's what motivates our worship that counts. And so that's what he wants us to see here. And so what is worship? Worship is simply this. Worship is giving ourselves over to Christ and allowing him to move through us. Allowing him to minister to us and to move through us. So what that means is worship is, is, is not just here. Now, coming here and singing and all that stuff, that is good, but that, that's not it. You're not getting the big picture of what it means to worship God if you're just doing that. What it means is in our jobs. You know, I'd venture to say most everybody in here is working somewhere or is around different people every day of the week, whether you are at home with your children, whether you are actually out in the workplace or whatever it may be, you are around different people. The question I have for you is, are you showing Jesus to those other people where you are? See, that is worship. Is your job just about paying the bill, bills, or, or do you see it as being a part of a mission field? Being a part of a bigger picture, being able to share the gospel to so many other different people and let them see Jesus living through you. And so God says that we are to give ourselves over to him so that he can move through us and so great things can happen. Verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So when I see this passage, what it's talking about is we see that there is still a battle that takes place. Oftentimes when I teach, uh, you hear me talk about this battle. And one of the reasons why is because it is actually going on. The Bible says that our battle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the principalities of darkness, against evil forces. They are influencing us, and they are coming through in many different ways to try to take us away from Christ so that our mind is not focused on Him. But the other thing that it does is it lays a groundwork for us realizing that we need Jesus. See, when we look at who we really are, we realize how badly we really need Jesus. A couple weeks ago, or probably a week ago, we went up to a thing called the Lift Tour. A bunch of the students, myself, some of the other leaders here up in Spartanburg. Amazing, amazing event. Great time, awesome time. But one of the most meaningful uh, moments for me over that trip was uh, the guys that I roomed with. You know, it's, it's something about, I don't know what it is, you know, when, when you get together with some guys, I mean, you just laugh. And uh, so Will, Chad, and myself were in a room together. But one of the things that we talked about and one of the things that we discovered was how messed up we really, we really are and how badly we need Jesus. And so we're telling these stories, and I remember Chad was like, man, thank you. And I was like, thank you for what? And he's like, I feel so much better knowing that the youth pastor 
is an idiot as well. I was like, yes, I am. And so, like, I was like, and I need Jesus just as bad as anybody else. And so that, that's good. We can kind of look at that. And so what he's telling us in this passage is that we are to be transformed. And see, what's happened in the lives of us that we were rooming together and the other students that have given their lives to Christ, what has happened is God has transformed their minds, that has transformed their lives so that we now desire Jesus and we don't desire the things of the world. And see, that's the key because we're going to screw up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say things that I did not want to say. I'm going to get angry, and I may react in a way that I don't want to react. But what I don't want to do is hurt Christ in those moments. And sometimes, guess what? I'm, I'm going to. But my desire is not to do that. And see, that's where we look at our heart and we say, what really is our desire? That doesn't mean we just walk around and say, well, I'm going to screw up, so I might as well just screw up. It's having that gut check for desire. That word transform in that passage... It's used in the same way in Matthew 17 when making reference to Jesus being transfigured up on the mount where he took uh, Peter, James, and John. And the Bible says that in that passage when he went up on the mountain that he became as bright as the sun and his clothes were as white as snow. See, when we are transformed, that's what happens to our hearts. That's what happens to our lives. It's the power of Christ that takes us over. And as a result, we are changed. And as a result, we should want to please Christ. We should want to honor Christ. And so we do so. And so we look at this and we see where God wants to reach in us. To change us. But once he does that, we are to take what he has done and we are to reach out. And we are to share that with others. And that's where we're going to stay today. Verse 3 reads, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed. He's distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all, all the parts do not have the same function... In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we are different, we have different gifts. And he goes on to talk about the gifts, we'll talk about that later. But when we look at this passage, what we've got to realize is that God gives us specific gifts. So after this, this transformation takes place in our life, we are to be obedient to God's call and we go out. But God has prepared each and every one of you with a specific gift to help further his kingdom. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing we see in this passage is God gives us specific gifts. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. And I think this applies to a lot of us. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am. I mean, don't you think a lot of us just think about that? Like, it'd be so much easier if, like, my wife and I thought the same, so then I would know when she's mad at me. You know, I mean, that would make it so much easier. I know, like, some of the guys you wish that, but we, we're different. I mean, we're, we're different. And what Paul is wanting to tell us is that 
those differences are not necessarily bad. He goes on to say, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. In the first service, my high school basketball coach, he comes here, Coach E. And one of the things that I really respected about him when I was playing high school basketball was one day he took me aside when I was thinking about not starting the, my senior year with the team. I was thinking about just focusing on baseball, going that route, but he talked me in to playing basketball, and he told me this. He said, Matthew, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how you're going to be on the court. He said, but this team needs you to be a leader. We need you to lead these guys off the court, and I think that God is going to use you on the court. I respected that. I respected that. I did because he told me my role. And he did that with every other player. There's some guys on a team, they may not ever see the light of day during a game. That's okay, but their attitude and practice can influence that team and make them much better. But it's up to the coach to let them know that, to be honest with them. And God is honest with us. And he wants to reveal to us our gifts and how we can better serve. So the practical question we have to ask ourselves simply is this, how do I know my gift? How do I know my gift? If you're taking notes, write this down. I'm just going to give you a couple steps that you can kind of follow as you go through and see, well, God, how can I serve? How do I know where you have gifted me? The first one is this. It's very simple. If you don't know this, then the rest is not going to fall into place. And you have to ask yourself the question, do I have a relationship with Jesus? Because if you don't know Jesus, then you're not going to know the gift that he has given you. You're not going to know the fulfillment, the desire that he has placed in your heart to to be the potential that he has set you out to be. The second is this. Allow Jesus to talk to you. You know, oftentimes we get frustrated because we don't know what our purpose is, but the only thing we're doing is, is simply just coming to church. We never pick up God's Word and just read it. And I know it can be difficult at times, but you never know how difficult it's going to be or how easy it's going to be until you actually pick up and read it. And then you can ask questions. That's what V groups are for. That's what uh, we're here for. That's what the different ministries are for, to be able to help and to, to disciple you, to help you grow in that way, to share that with you. But another thing is when he is talking to you, you've got to listen. You can't block him off. You've got to listen to what he's trying to tell you. And listening can take place in a couple of ways. And, and here's an example I want to give to you. Listening can be acting. In other words, acting on what God is saying. Sometimes we listen to God better by doing. Many of you know uh, Michelle who helps with Prosperity Project. She is the one who uh, runs Gonzalez Gardens. It's a, a ministry that they have set up down there, uh, down at the projects, in, um, down across from Providence Hospital. My wife uh, has been serving there for a couple of years, and it's really interesting to hear her story when she talks about getting involved there. We took the students probably a couple of years ago uh, down there on a Saturday to kind of do a devotional vacation Bible school type thing with them. And uh, she, I needed an extra chaperone, and she so graciously volunteered. I don't know if she really graciously did, but God used that regardless. And so she, she came on a Saturday morning, and that was, that was uh, very helpful for us. But when we went down there, what was cool, and something that I did not know, is for the past, what, six months or so, she'd been praying that God 
would show her where she needed to serve. A little child came up to her and Michelle after we were done and, and told her, and I may be wrong, you can correct me, but that she had been reading her Bible and that she talked to Jesus, something along those lines. And in that moment, I remember looking and Emily just started crying. And it was in that moment of serving that God revealed to her where she was supposed to serve. And for the last couple of years, she's been going down after school and tutoring two students down there. But it took her acting in obedience first for her to really listen to what God was telling her to do. And then the last thing is affirm what God is telling you. Affirm it by Scripture. Make sure that you are doing exactly what He wants you to do. At the lift tour this past weekend or a weekend or so ago, they do this thing with the conference many of you probably heard of that is called Compassion International. And so what they do is they have these, uh, these children that are foster children all around the world and you are able to adopt them to help supply food for them. You don't necessarily go see them all the time, but you're able to help them financially and such. And so uh, we had some students who wanted to sponsor them. And it reminded me of a time in my life when I did something and acted in disobedience. Though my, my uh, intentions were in the right place, I did not act on it in the way that I should have. And that is, in high school, I, I took one of the, the kids' names, and I was going to adopt that child. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is going to be great. But it, it sat there. And it sat there. And it sat there. And I never followed through. See, what I did was I reacted with an emotional impulse that took place during worship. And though my intentions might not necessarily have been wrong, I did not sit back and affirm that I could actually do this. Yeah, as a senior in high school, there's really not that much income coming in. And so as a result, I don't know however many months, and I don't say it proudly, but that, that child did not have someone to sponsor him. And so when I looked at our students with great passion, I had that same concern to not make a decision based off of an emotional impulse, but to make sure that we can follow through with that. And see, that's the thing, because God wants us to be committed when we make those decisions to follow through with our gifts. But the second thing that we see in this passage is that we don't need to give a false evaluation. Oftentimes what we can do is we can uh, overestimate ourselves and we can underestimate ourselves. Uh, point in case is, I don't know if you've watched American Idol, uh, one of my favorite judges is Simon. Uh, he's not on there anymore, but he told it how it is. And I, I respect that. Now sometimes I know a lot of you are like, man, that guy's a jerk. But you know what? He's a truthful jerk. And so he would just tell them how it is. You know, you'd have a kid and like, well, I grew up singing in my church. And like, yeah, you got no business singing here though. And so he'd let you know that and he was very truthful with you. The reality is, is that a lot of us, we take something that we think we have and we try to utilize that gift, but that's not really the giftedness that God has given us. I think oftentimes people look and they see a pastor up teaching and they think, oh my goodness, well, I can't teach. Well, the reality of it is, and we'll see this later on, is that you are supposed to teach and we're all supposed to teach. God laid that out there clearly for all of us when he said, go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he said that we are to disciple them. Discipling is training them. You are to live life with them, walk 
through life with them, go through God's word with them. We are supposed to have an understanding of God's word. And this past week, I've never been more challenged than I have uh, knowing God's word this past week. I had two students come to my door. Students. Two juniors in high school come to my door. Let me say that again. Two juniors in high school come to my door. Now, these juniors in high school were not promoting our church. They were not promoting the Bible. They were two Jehovah's Witnesses who were coming to talk to me about the Watchtower. That is the book that they believe in. That is their, their Bible in essence. But they take some of our scripture and they try to distort it and they put it in there. And they'll sit and they'll agree with you. But when you pull out your Bible and when you start talking to them, you realize that there is a huge difference. And the biggest difference is simply this, is they do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They believe he is a good teacher, but they do not believe him to be God, and that totally messes everything up. If Jesus is not Lord, then we might as well just go hang out at Cracker Barrel and get something to eat right now. But what I realized is, oh my goodness, two juniors in high school, what great boldness to come and to do that. And I had to admire the fact that they were bold enough to come, but I hated the fact that it was a false religion that they were promoting. And I thought, goodness gracious, we need to know our Bible. And how many of us don't? And I truly believe it points back to Jesus, whether or not we are sold by the fact that he is God. Because if he is, then it demands something great from us, and we should want to let other people know. But the other thing is we are not to underestimate ourselves Listen to what Psalm 113, verses 13 through 15 say. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I love that part where it says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, when you read that, that should give you a hope. Because when you read that, you see that God made you with a great purpose. And so you should not fear the gifts that he has given you. And you should not fear the responsibility that comes with it to step out and to reach out. Because God made you for that purpose. In Genesis chapter 1, it says that we are created in his image. In our image, he created us. Created in the image of God. I love that phrase because what it presents is a, a surgeon going into surgery, saying in all of creation, God made the heavens and the earth. He made the sun, the moon, the stars, and all of these things. And then he made us. And it shows this picture that God kind of called time out. I'm really going to focus on this one. And God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit come together. And they make us in God's image. And so what it tells us is that we have a great value. And that value comes from Christ. Your self-worth is not determined by the things you do. It is determined by whom you do those things for. It all points back to Jesus 
Are you working for Christ? Are you a, a good student for Christ? Are you a good husband for Christ? Are you a good wife for Christ? Are you a good fill-in-the-blank for God's glory? Or are you wasting it away for yourself, which will not satisfy? Listen to what Deuteronomy 31.6 says. It says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Why would we not want to please the God who stands before us? When Joshua was going into battle, God says, I will prepare the way for you. It says he will personally go ahead of you. I love that because what it shows is that our God does not keep himself separated from us, but yet he comes and he walks with us and he says, hey man, I got this. I got this. You know, too often we're afraid to share Christ because people do not like him. Jesus said that they will hate you because of me. We should go ahead and know that. But we also have a responsibility to let them know him because if they don't, I truly believe that they will go to hell. And I don't wish that on anybody. But here's the thing. It's not you they hate. It's him. And you want me to tell you something about Jesus? He's a big boy. He can handle it. So let him. Let him handle it. But the last thing that he tells us to do is simply this. He says, get on with it. Get on with it. Get out there and do something. Listen to the gifts that he tells us that we have. He says, if your gift is prophecy, do it in proportion to our faith. If it's service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts, that word exhorts, it means to encourage in encouraging the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We all can look at this and we can say, you know what, I can encourage somebody. That's simple. But if you're going to do it, do it. Who does not like being around somebody who is an encourager? When I was thinking about someone who's an encourager, many of you remember Catherine Sladen, who used to worship here with us before they moved down to Charleston. Hey, what a great encourager. I mean, I could have a stain on my shirt, and she'd come up and be like, oh, that is the neat-looking design you've got there. You know, I mean, she makes everything just seem so nice and so happy. And that's her gift, and she utilizes it well. It says in teaching, go out and do it. If you're in a position of leadership, then do it with great zeal. Do it with determination. Do it in the name of Christ. And it says if God has blessed you financially, then it says contribute. Contribute generously. When you look at this church, they had nothing. They had nothing. I'm not talking about necessarily just giving financially here and there to, you know, to everything, but being able to help somebody in need. If you have an opportunity to provide a meal for someone who's next to you, do that. God has blessed you to be able to do that, so help someone. We should live a life full of generosity to where we are wanting to see the kingdom of God being reached here in this world so that people know Jesus and they live a life of hope. And so if God has blessed you in that way, then utilize the gifts that he has given you to further his kingdom and to do it for his glory. And so we step out and we go. 
maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, well, Matthew, I, I don't really know my gift. I don't really know where I can serve. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you have a pen, write this down. You can go to spiritualgiftstest.com. It may take you uh, about 20 minutes or so, but it is a great thing to do. And it'll print out a thorough report letting you see where your gifts are. And you can say, you know what, well, I can serve in this area. Maybe some of you uh, want to serve with the children. You just love acting like a kid. You know what, that's a great place to serve. Maybe some of y'all are looking for like the best ministry in this whole church and, and you can serve in the student ministry. I kid, but I don't. And so, but we need help all up and down the board. You know, when people come in with the hospitality area, that's an opportunity to serve. If God's given you the gift of music, then, then come up here and, and try, and James will treat you like Simon and tell you to go find somewhere else. But no, but we still want you to come in to serve. It may be doing something that no one else sees and just simply coming through and picking up bulletins after the service. You know, there's a lot of different things that, that we can do to make God's glory shown throughout this place. But you know what? God has called us somewhere else. Maybe it's to head over to Westwood and to help. Maybe it's to serve there. You know, I really feel like God has given us an opportunity to share Jesus with a lot of people. And I truly believe that God has called us over there to be able to share to even more the glory of his name. And I believe that from my core, and I'll tell you why I believe it. About a year or so ago, I was just really having a hard time. And I felt like God was wanting me to do something, but I did not know what it was. And I was really just having a rough time. I'd leave work, and I'd drive home, and I'd just say, God, please tell me today, because this is frustrating. I'd wake up, and I'd say, God, please tell me today, because I'm having a hard time, and it was affecting everything that I was doing. One day, Eric came in my office. He simply just put down an article on my desk, and it was talking about church campuses, church planning. I read that, and it was as if the light bulb went off, and that was what God was saying. This is what we're going to do. And it was so cool because God was working separately in his life, and he was dealing with me separately. But when we communicated together, we realized in unison God was working in us. And so that's why as leaders in this church, we can stand in harmony, understanding that God was telling us to do something, and we simply have to be obedient. And it takes a team. It takes a village. And we've got an opportunity. And it begins here. And it begins with you. And it begins with you allowing God to reach in and then stepping out. Are you going to be obedient? Are you going to listen to Christ when he is calling and knocking on your heart? And are you going to step out in faith and watch amazing things happen when you let God move through you? No.